You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. For time, can you thank and welcome Pastor Steve? Okay, well, I am so honored, but first of all, in my culture, it is a really big deal to give honor where it's due, so I know he gave me some love, but Pastor Eric and Sarah are incredible. They love you guys with everything that they have. They pour the best of who they are into you, and they believe the best from you, so can you guys just give Pastor Eric and Sarah a hand, because I'll tell you what, a lot of the text messages we talk about is really like, how do we love you guys more, and it's incredible, and then also... Your leaders, I don't, know, I don't know where you got these incredible leaders from, but they are amazing. They served you guys. This ministry wouldn't be difficult without them. This ministry would be impossible without them. So make sure that you give them some love right now too, all your leaders. All right, all right. Well, tonight we are going to talk about something that fundamentally changed my life. And I think that if it's something that you can incorporate into your own life, I believe that it's going to be able to change any, everything, and that is this. How can you be grateful when life is really hard? How do you have a position where you have your heart where you can be thankful for the things that, that God has brought into your life when it feels like your life is falling apart? And so today we're going to quickly turn to a passage of Scripture, which I really love. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's in the book of Philippians, which is now modern-day Greece. Now, Paul was imprisoned multiple different times in his life, But they believe that when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, it might have been one of his last letters that he wrote. And so essentially, this becomes a letter from death row because we know that the apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome. And so if this is somebody's last words, what would you say? I'm a hospital chaplain, so I spend a lot of time with those who are dying. And one of the things that I love to do is actually just to listen to the words that people say when they know that they are at the end of their life. Because what I like to pay attention to is what people say at the end of their life is some of the most important things that they'll talk about. Because what it is, is it's raw, it's unfiltered, and it's wise. Because usually people don't think about their car when they're dying. People don't think about how much money they have in their account when they're dying. And so when we look at the book of Philippians and we see what Paul is writing at the end of his life, he says something that's incredibly surprising. Because if you remember Paul's life, he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been persecuted, he's been arrested multiple times. And so I want you guys to listen to these words from the Apostle Paul right now writing from prison. All of a sudden he gets this care package. So you can imagine being on death row and all of a sudden you get like a box of cookies and you're like, what am I going to do with cookies and socks, right? Like I'm on death row. But this is what Paul says it starts in, verse, in chapter 4 of Philippians. So if you guys have like your Bible apps or something, you guys can turn it. I'll have it on the screen. But we're going to start in verse 4 because this is what Paul says at the end of his life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, if you guys are like a Bible underliner or circular, every situation, do that. By prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Now we're going to jump down to verse 10. And when I imagine that Paul is sitting in this prison, he's shackled and there's like dripping water. He's wet, he's cold, and he's looking at this care package. And I think that he's laughing a little bit. He's like, what am I going to do with these cookies? What am I going to do with like all these socks? I'm sitting here on death row, and this is what he says. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. This is that care package. The Philippians have sent this to him. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, and, and, in, every, each, in each and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all, th- all of this through him who gives me strength. Now, contrary to popular belief, Steph Curry, I know I'm from the Bay Area, okay? So Steph Curry didn't coin that passage, and he's definitely not talking about being able to shoot threes. He's not saying that I can do, I can bench press 400 pounds because of what Christ has done to me. What he's saying is like, I can be content and be thankful in every circumstance. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're going through things and you're like, this is impossible, like, how could, it, how could I possibly give thanks if you knew the things that were happening within my home? Like, how could I give thanks if you knew what I thought about when I looked at myself in the mirror and what I actually think about myself? How could I possibly give thanks? Now, I don't know how that might happen for you, but all I can do is share my story of what this meant to me. So let me just go back and tell you guys real quickly a little bit about my story. Uh, the first thing is that, that you need to know is that my parents immigrated from Vietnam in 1975, okay? So I grew up Buddhist, okay? And I grew up, uh, and one of the things that my wife kind of laughs about is that she says, while I was born in America, I didn't grow up in a normal American home, okay? Um, so this is what I mean by that. How many of you guys have like, like pictures of yourself as a kid? right? Maybe you have some pictures of yourself as a kid, right? Okay, so you guys have your normal ones. Everything's curated now. You know, it's like perfect. This was what my baby picture looked like. So, okay. <laughs> like, like my wife said, I, while I grew up in America, I didn't have a normal American experience, okay? Clearly, I was in a studio and somebody did this on purpose, okay? So this is me as a baby, right? And this is where, like how I grew up. Now, at the corner of my house, Growing up, I had this little altar in my house where we had this golden statue. You may have seen this when you go to like Asian food restaurants, right? And you see like fruit in front of it. That's what I had at the very center of my house. And every day, my parents had told me that I was supposed to light incense, put some fruit in front of the, the, the little gold statue, and I was supposed to like, if I blessed the gods enough or I made the gods happy, then they would come and they would bless me. But I remember all of a sudden, when all of a sudden we found out that my grandma had stomach cancer, and then my aunt had stomach cancer. And then when my dad got stomach cancer, all of my prayers changed because I was like, all of a sudden I started to think, whoa, is there something bigger at play in my life that I don't understand? And so when I was eight years old, my dad actually ended up dying of stomach cancer just a few days before Christmas. And I remember that changed everything in terms of like how I relate to God because I I did all the right things. I put the fruit there, I lit the incense, but my dad still died. And so um, I have this picture of my family because my sister's 10 years older than me. I don't know why she's so bitter at me in there, but check out that haircut though, right? Like I said, I grew up in America, not normal American childhood, okay? But that's my sister. She's 10 years older than me. We became great friends um, when when I turned 12. She was 22. But when I turned 12, uh, she ended up uh, getting diagnosed with stomach cancer. And I remember 
that they, at the hospitals, they were like, there's no way that we can treat her anymore because there's too much going on. So we had to fly her to Mexico for this experimental treatment. And I remember I was in this chapel and I was praying the most honest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And it's probably a prayer that you know so well. And I prayed something like this. God, if you are real, save my sister. The very next morning, my sister went into a coma and she never woke up. Three days later, she was dead. And from that moment, I didn't want anything to do with God. And I said, if God was real, then he doesn't love me. He doesn't care anything about me. And what ended up happening is I became bitter and angry, and I ended up taking it out on my friends and everyone around it, and I made it my personal mission that if anybody said they believed in God, that I would cuss them out, I would ridicule them. And at one point, I even slapped a Bible out of a kid's hand because you know what? I had so much pain in my life, and it was expressed outwardly. And so my mom, who saw how angry I was, I, was, I grew up in Eastside San Jose, and my parents were like, you are not going to the public school because you are like prime pickings for an Asian gang. And so they let me pick two schools. One was an all-boys school, and one was a private school with girls, so I picked the one with the girls. <laughs> and um, I went there, and it was a terrible combination. It was a Christian school, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I was like, I don't want to listen to any of your messages. I don't want to listen to and hear anything about your God, because if God was real, he would have saved my sister. But I had some friends who were on the football team who all they did was they loved on me, they let me cuss them out, and they cared about me, and they committed, more than anything, to pray for me every single day until I became a Christian. So when I turned 16, I was a junior, I gave my life over to Christ, and something like unlocked in my heart. So for those of you guys who like are praying for your friends, I just want to tell you, keep praying, okay? It works. And I want you guys to know that I, like, I, I put my life, and I put my faith in Jesus, Fast forward a few years, I end up going to college at Azusa Pacific, just down the road up here. Um, I go into ministry, my cougars, there you go, you know. Um, I go into ministry, and when I choose to go into ministry, my parents disown me, okay? They're like, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. That's a whole nother story that maybe you'll invite me back, Eric, for another time for that one. But my family disowns me. I go into ministry, and I'm with high school students. I lead trips to Guatemala every single year. And all of a sudden, in 2014, I, I lead a trip to Guatemala, I come home, and I fall down because I cannot even stand because I have so much stomach pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is going on here? I go to the hospital, I get to the hospital, and the doctor's like, look, whatever you got, you probably got some bug in Guatemala, but there's something going on in your family that we don't know about. And so they ended up referring me over to Stanford. And when I went to Stanford, this is the first time that I heard about this genetic mutation called CDH1, and they, which causes this hereditary, aggressive, rare, and undetectable form of stomach cancer called hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. It's hereditary, meaning that it's passed down genetically. It's what affected my grandma, my aunt, my dad, and my sister. It's undetectable, which means that it doesn't show up on any blood work. It doesn't show up on any body scans until it's too late. It's aggressive, meaning that once it shows up on body scans, you only have about a year to live. It's rare, meaning that it affects one in 500,000 people. I was the 23rd, person, 23rd confirmed case at Stanford ever and the 350th confirmed case in the world. And they said, we're going to do this blood work and we'll let you know whether or not you have this or not. And so I get this phone call that ended up changing my life. And they said, hey, they said, you got to come in immediately because everybody, like the people that this affects, it, they have like a couple genes that are missing in their whole genetic code. You're missing about 16, which is why it was so aggressive in my family. And the only way to deal with this cancer is actually to surgically remove my stomach. But the catch is 
They wouldn't know if I had cancer until after they removed my stomach and they put it in under slides and that they can see and do the pathology results. And the doctor said, hey, Steve, like you can wait until you have symptoms before we do the surgery. But out of the last five patients that did, three of them were dead within a year and the other two were dead within three. And so I said to the doctor, so you're saying I don't have a choice. And so when he said like the next available surgery was after, right, the day after Ash Wednesday, I was like, dude, it just felt right. Like this was the, the right place for us to be. And so I did what you would all do when you are finding out that you might lose your stomach, right? And I went on a farewell stomach tour, um, <laughs> which was incredible uh, because it meant that I never counted my calories and I would be like, I'll take this side of the menu, this side of the menu, and half the back page because I'm on a diet, Okay. And uh, my friends were amazing. They, they took us to this amazing restaurants. We, we ate like crazy. Uh, I have a picture of my very last meal, um, actually, right here. So um, what you don't see is all of the rest of the table, okay? Um, but they were like, you could eat up to midnight. So 11.59 and 58 seconds, I was like shoveling, okay? Because I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to eat again. At the time, like you go on Wikipedia, and there are 48 words about hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. And that includes all of the titles, okay? And so there's not much that's known about this. And so we're kind of leading and, and figuring out what we're going to do. So on March 6, in 2014, I said farewell to my stomach. So that's me just going, right about to go in. And they cut me open from my diaphragm to about my pelvis. And I wake up, and it is so crazy to look down, and you're like, that scar is huge, okay? And I was like, my life is going to be forever changed. But I'm in the hospital for about a week, and at the end of the week, the doctors hand me this pathology result because they took out my stomach, and I had done all of this experimental uh, scanning. I went and did all the blood work. Everything had come up negative, okay? But when the doctors hand me this pathology result, they said, Steve, you are really lucky we did this because if we hadn't have done this, we would have been planning your funeral in a year because you had cancer everywhere. And it was one of those moments where I was like, dude, I wish. I, I told the doctor, I was like, I don't think luck had anything to do with it because of the way that things lined up. And I wish I could say that, that, that life was easy when I was like, oh, okay, just like believe in God, okay? The time that I was doing all of this food tour, I was worried every single night whether or not that cancer was already go growing. I was scared that they were going to open me up like my sister did and then shut me back down because they were like, you know what? There's nothing we can do. And there were these moments where my, my wife, Kate, and I had to take turns in this season, and we had this saying. We would say, today we are going to choose to trust God. And there were moments when I had to say that to my wife, and then there were times when she had to say it back to me. And this was some of those moments where I was like, okay, trust and gratitude and thankfulness, they all come together. Because the reason why I can be like, okay, I can believe that God is still good when my circumstances are falling apart. And so this journey was incredibly hard, and I had to go through this long process of recovery afterwards where I had to do, learn how to do everything again. I couldn't walk 150 feet because I didn't have abdominal muscles anymore. They just cut straight through it. I couldn't sit up in bed. I couldn't drink water that was more than an eyedrop at a time. Um, it took me two and a half hours to eat half a protein bar. And it was so frustrating because nothing I, can keep, nothing I could do to keep it down. There were moments when we just had to say, gosh, God, I'm so frustrated right now, but I'm just going to have to choose to trust you. And there were days when all of a sudden I got this $8,000 bill in the mail because our insurance was like, we are not going to cover experimental treatments. And I had to say to myself, man, God, we're just going to trust you how to do this. And I just remember praying. I picked up the phone to call them because I was going to set up a payment plan. And all of a sudden, they're like, sir, I don't see anything on your account. Who knows? Maybe I still owe them money, at which point you never heard the story, okay? <laughs> um, 
But I, I was like, how did this happen? I, I don't know how to explain that. But after six months into this process of recovery, I was learning how to walk. I was getting back to it. Um, I was starting to like run a little bit. All of a sudden, I'm about to speak at this, uh, at this event. And all of a sudden, I get hit with this massive stomach pain again. I fall to the ground. There's nothing I could do. I go to the hospital. And what I find out in this hospital is that all of a sudden I had a bowel obstruction because what happens is they take your esophagus and they attach it directly to your intestines, but things get stuck there. And all of a sudden, like blood flow doesn't go to your bowels, which means that you die. So it's life-threatening. So all of a sudden I had this massive infection that was in my bowels that caused this bowel obstruction and it was life-threatening. So they rushed me to emergency surgery again where they cut me even more. So they cut me from here all the way down past my pelvis now. And they have to go back in and they fix it. I'm back in the hospital for a week. I get out and then two days later, I'm sitting at home and I get hit with this massive stomach pain again. I cannot stand. And over the course of this month, I was hospitalized four times. I had three ileuses. I had to have two surgeries. And I had an infected Meckel's diverticulum. I got a kidney stone in the hospital and a partridge in a pear tree, okay? But it was a bummer because in that, in that month long, I only spent 48 hours at home that whole time. And I remember that last time they sent me home and they, I all of a sudden got hit with this pain again. And I was like, okay, this is it. And my wife is an ER nurse at a hospital up there. And I, would, I told her, I was like, Kate, take me back to your hospital. I didn't te- tell her this, but I was like, that's where I want to die. And so while my wife was getting all of our stuff together, our kids, getting them ready to do what we'd gotten used to in that month to take them to the hospital, my wife and I journaled to each other. And I grabbed that journal, and right before I went to the hospital, I just wrote, like, my last words to just say, I love them. I just want my kids to know that I love them. I get to the hospital, and they do another scan. And they put me in this room, and they do this scan, and they're like, sir, you have gallstones now. The surgeon's going to be back in to tell you what to do. And then she left and turned off the lights. And I'm sitting in this dark room, right? And I just start weeping. Because I'm like, dude, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I just keep getting stuck in this place. And then all of a sudden, this is crazy, but the words from a worship song came to my head. This is why worship is so important. Because when you don't feel like you can thank God, sometimes you have to borrow somebody else's faith. And so this is what happened. All of a sudden, I heard these words. You might remember them. They're, they're an old song now. But the words go, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. And I ended up singing that over and over and over again. So then they put me in the back of an ambulance. They transferred me up to Stanford again. And they prepared for me for surgery. And they put me on the cancer floor. That night, my next door, my next bedroom mate or whatever, doctors come in. They're like, hey, you have an inoperable mass. You're probably going to die. And then they left. Which, if you ever become a doctor, please have better manners than that, okay? Um, And at this point, I'm so depressed, right? I'm on the cancer floor. I, all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to get up and I have to go for a walk. So I walk around that floor. That night, two other patients die on that floor. And I remember I sat on, on my bed and I all of a sudden was filled with all this panic and anxiety and this fear because I was like, this could be it. So I did what we would all do in that moment and I pulled out my cell phone. <laughs> um, I pulled out my cell phone. I started flipping through these pictures and I landed on this picture that summer from my wife and I who were leading um, a camp up at Hume. And I had this one moment where all of a sudden, all of that fear, all of that worry, all of that anxiety was replaced with peace. Because of all of a sudden, I had this thought where all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratefulness because I thought to myself, if, 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 if this was the last moment that I have on, on this planet, 
I am just so thankful that with the life that God gave me, that I did everything I could, including being disowned by my family, walking through all those difficult things in life in order to point kids to Jesus. That I was like, I am so glad that I spent my life pouring my life into students that if I face Jesus tonight, that I could say, you know what, God? I just was faithful to love the people who are right in front of me. And that's what you asked me to do. And what strikes me when I was laying there in bed was all the conversations I had because of all the things I didn't think about. I never thought about my GPA. I never thought about the college I went to. I never thought about the car I drove. I never thought about my retirement because it didn't matter. All I thought about was, man, I am so thankful that with the time I had, I loved the people right in front of me. And this it was the first time I felt like I understood what Paul was saying in Philippians. That under all circumstances, that as long as we continue to trust God, even when it's hard, that when we reach the end of our life, that as hard and as difficult as it was, we can say, you know what, God, with the time that you gave me, I'm so glad that I was faithful. And this is the kind of peace that Paul is talking about. You see, the scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from from the dead now resides in you. And that power allows us to be able to rejoice, to have peace, to be thankful under all circumstances. And so I don't know what it is that you're going through in this season. But I just want to encourage you guys with something that I got a chance to experience. That I know that God is with you in the good and the bad and the ugly of life. And that power that is working inside of you through God's spirit allows you to offer praise in the midst of the pain of life. You see, what I've experienced so far is that when you can praise God in the pain of life, he can give it a new purpose. And so one of the cool things that has come from this um, is uh, my, the stomach cancer community is so small. There's like 5,000 of us in the world. And so I wanted to do something just to kind of encourage people to say, you know what, if you have to lose your stomach, then like there's still life happening. And so I used to do triathlons. And so one of my goals was to get back and do a triathlon. In 2017, it took a couple of years. I was able to finish a half Ironman. Um, and I became the first to do it without a stomach. And uh, it was really crazy because I got a chance to go on the news and I got to share the goodness of what God had done. And it was amazing because now I get to go and speak to the top surgeons in the world uh, about life and about what, what, what God did in my life. I got to talk about this story with the mayor of San Jose, which was pretty incredible. But when the newspapers asked me, like, why do you do this? Why did you want to go back and, uh, by the way, I know that this looks cool, but I'll never do that again. It was like the worst pain in the world, okay? It was awful. It was terrible. I wouldn't do that with a stomach, okay? Um, let alone without the stomach. But when they asked me, why do I do that? Um, I, I'd say I do that for my two girls. And I have a picture of my two Asian babies right here. That's Evangeline and Felicity. Each one of these kids has a 50% chance of having the same cancer that I do. And so I want to show them that if they come up positive, that they were like, you know what, daddy did this too. My oldest daughter just turned nine. She's officially older than I was than when my dad died, which is a total trip, okay? And I have these moments where I'm like, okay, like for you to watch the journey that I'm going through reminds me that people are paying attention to how you journey through pain. People are paying attention. And so for those of us who are like, I have faith in God through the pain of life, that's a powerful testimony that God wants to use in this. And so how do we put this into practice? Well, there's just a couple things I want you guys to know. The first thing is that gratitude can put our pain into perspective. I love that the Bible doesn't dismiss that life is hard. It doesn't try to gaslight and say, you know what? No, 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 no. It's not as bad as you think, but it acknowledges that life is hard. You will have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
It might be a newsflash to you, but we're all going to die. <laughs> okay, congratulations, let's go, yay, right? <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is that all of us are going to face this, but the question is, how are we going to live? How are we going to live? Um, one of the cool things is I get a chance to support other cancer patients. And um, one of my friends actually posted this while she was getting chemo. And one of the things I love about this uh, picture is that she wrote on her Instagram page, she's like, I love the view from here. And what it says is that from this perspective, you are either paying attention to the chemo bag or you are paying attention to the mountains in the back. But what the Bible says is that we are actually going to hold both of those things together. That at the same time that life can be hard and difficult, we can still see the beauty that is just beyond. Sometimes we want to be like, ignore it and be like, no, 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 nothing's wrong. There's no chemo bag, right? Just look at the mountains. That's not how the Bible works. And sometimes we get focused so much on the chemo bag that we forget that there is so much beauty to, uh, to absorb in part of life. And so the truth is that we can hold both those things in sight. And it actually takes discipline to be thankful. It takes discipline to be thankful because I don't know about you, but it's way easier for me to grumble than it is to, for me to, be, to have uh, gratitude, Okay. But gratitude puts our struggles in perspective. And so one of the cool things that happens is whenever we go through hard things in life, my wife and I like to say, well, at least it's not cancer. And it's true, <laughs> right? At least it's not cancer. But with gratitude also, we learn how to appreciate little graces. Um, man, trying to drink water from an eyedrop at a time, you're pretty thirsty a lot. Um, but I remember the first time I drank a Diet Coke and it stayed down and it was beautiful, okay? <laughs> it was like this wonderful moment. And so for me today, a donut is not just a donut. Donuts are my favorite thing. But as we get a chance to savor, I'm like, I never look at a donut the same way, okay? So I go to Donut Man, and I'm like, every minute of it is fantastic. I'm dying afterwards, but it's awesome, okay? And so my encouragement for you is this, that there is so much to be thankful for. Look around you. There are people who have poured into your life who are journeying with you. And so one of the things I want to challenge you with today, and we're going to get a chance to do that, is to make gratitude an action item. The, th the truth is that if you have gratitude in your heart, that does no good for the people around you. And so we have to express it and to be specific. One of the things that, that I love, what uh, I think, Eric, you texted me just a couple weeks ago. It hit me at the right time where you're just like, man, I'm just so thankful for you. And I was like, man, I love that. But we don't have the opportunity to share that very often. So here's what I want you guys to do. Have gratitude before you go to the grave, Okay. Don't wait till the very end of your life to say, you know what? Like, I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. And so let me pray for you guys. And it is just a joy and an honor to be able to just pray with you. And tonight, it just made me think of this. Um, if there's something that you guys have something going on in your life, I would actually want to pray for you in a little bit. And so in a moment, I'm just going to pray. And if you're like walking through something really difficult and you're like, you know what? Like, I, I'm having trouble praising God right now. Well, I think that there's enough faith for all of us to carry you too, even in this moment where you're like, you know what? I can't praise God. But you know what? We can do it on your behalf. So let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for each and every single person that's here in this room, for every student and every leader. But I know that each, at each and every single one of these tables, it represents painful stories, heartbreak, depression, anxiety. Maybe they're going through their own health situation. And yet we hold on to this incredible truth that because of what you have done, because of the power of the spirit that's working inside of us, that it's possible to have joy even when our circumstances say otherwise. And so right now, if, if, if you are in a place right now where you're going through hard things and you would just like prayer, can you guys just quickly just lift your hand real quick? And while everyone's eyes are closed, you just put your hand up and I would just love to just pray for you guys. All right. That's awesome.
Father God, I want to pray specifically for people right now who have, have just lifted up their hands, and maybe those who didn't. God, we know that, that there are things that we can't even begin to process the pain or the frustration or the heartache that's going on in each life. But God, I thank you that, that those are not unknown to you. God, your word says that we can have the freedom to cast the full weight of our anxieties and our concerns upon you because you care for us. And so, God, would you withdraw each and every single one of those people who have something going on in their life back into that space in their heart that's reserved just between you and them. May you minister to them in that moment. May you give them a peace that transcends all understanding, that you would guard their hearts and their minds against discouragement, against fear, against anxiety and worry, because we know that you are with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we thank Pastor Steve for sharing? That was so good, man.